To First Peter, I want to read the first 16 verses of this letter that Peter wrote many years ago, but is as relevant to us today as it was then. First Peter 1, beginning at verse 1 through verse 16, let's hear God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling of his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Thus far, the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible word. Lord, 
We need your Holy Spirit to guide and lead us and so open this truth to us this morning to help us also for guidance in in this new year and throughout each day and week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know, beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ about you, but certainly as we enter another year of our Lord 2024, there are certain questions that arise in our minds. We've been through a few very unique, if not to say puzzling, years that are behind us. And what lies before us in 2024 is quite uncertain. Many events are taking place in the world. There are wars and rumors of wars. And it seems on many fronts that the church is minimized and sidelined and the evils within this world are thrust forth and many are engaging in the sins of our times. So where are we in the church, those who confess to know the Lord Jesus Christ? What are we to do in light of all these things? Well, the writers of the scriptures by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit would tell us there's not, no, new be, no new thing that is happening to us. When you think of the Old Testament, you have Abraham who dwelt among the idolaters and uh, the heathens. He was called out, but he, he is said to have sought for a city whose foundation and maker is, is God. Then in Hebrews we read about Abel and Enoch and Noah. They desired a better country that is a heavenly country. And they We are told, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he is preparing for them a city. Now, as a Christian, we live in this kind of tension. We we have our eyes lifted up. We, We desire and live for the heavenly things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We, we anticipate a new heavens and a new earth. We, we ought to have the same longing of the Apostle Paul, even so, or John, even so come quickly. But at the same time, we are called to live now in this world. We are called to be the light and the salt of the earth. Romans 8, Paul tells us that even this world is groaning. And we can see it around us. In many respects, the whole earth is groaning and travail and pain because of the sin that is predominant in the world. There's this expectation, Paul says, of the creature or the creation waiting for the manifestation, for the revelation of Christ and his church, his people, his brothers and sisters to be gathered in to the heavenly Jerusalem. Paul says this groaning is not only in this world, but this groaning is also in ourselves. We groan also. Is this your cry as we enter 2024? Even so, Lord, come quickly. Because you are living in anticipation and hope of Jesus coming again. Because you love him. You want to be where he is. 
You want to be free from sin within and the sin that is so predominant in our world today. Well, this letter that the Apostle Peter writes is written to a people who are suffering greatly. Thankfully, we don't have that kind of persecution in our country, at least as they experience in some countries. It may be coming in 2024. There may be reformation and revival in 2024. We don't know. I do know that there are those seminary students who come to us from China, for example, who face this reality every single day. I happened to be there in the end of the summer for one week teaching a course. And you don't know what to think. Just recognize you're in God's hands. Only to find out the next person who went to teach the same group of students about a month and a half later was taken into the authority with the whole group that he was teaching. We live in difficult times, perhaps increasingly so. And this kind of persecution and suffering is not only in China. It can be within our own families. It can be in various ways that we suffer in our bodies and, and suffer the consequences of sin in our lives. But Peter here has a message for us this morning. He has a message for us to look to the future. Look to what is coming. And that's what I want to try to help us understand and maybe set a tone or a foundation for us as we go into this new year as well. And so turn with me again to this chapter in 1 Peter. In verse 13, he, he says these words, Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our theme this morning is hope evermore through 2024 with three thoughts. The foundation of this hope. Secondly, the future of this hope. And thirdly, the fruit of this hope. Well, Peter begins with this word, therefore, or wherefore. And anytime you see that word in the scriptures, you need to ask yourself, what's it there for? There's a purpose. And most often it's a transition from laying some doctrinal truth and statements and objective uh, things and, and setting them before the people to transition to now, therefore, live this way. The, the Apostle Paul uh, does this also frequently in his writings as well. And so this verse... 13 is a transitional, pivotal verse for the Apostle Peter in this letter also. Peter here is, of course, addressing Christians, perhaps about mid-60 AD, Christians living in Asia Minor in the five provinces of the Roman Empire in a larger area today of what is called Turkey. And Peter had no doubt heard of the great persecution that had been taking place by the Roman Emperor Nero against the Christians. There was a terrible fire in 64 AD that was blamed on the Christians. 
and a Roman historian states that between 63 and 68 AD, every Christian in Rome either lost his life or fled from Rome. Now these were the ones, then some of them, who were scattered abroad, the dispersion. Whether they were Jew or Gentile, he doesn't clarify for us, but these had been probably those who were under persecution had fled and had been Christians where they were, and now they were trying to live as Christians in their particular place to which they had fled. And there was, uh, on the horizon, even more indications that persecution could certainly follow. Now what Peter is doing here, as we come to verse 13, when he calls us, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, hopefully... He has already laid a foundation for them upon which to do that very thing. And that's what we will look at in our first thought. Notice how he begins. He has first greeted those who are dispersed abroad to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion, according to to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What a way to begin. To point those who are dispersed and suffering to the Father, to His foreknowledge, to His election. The word literally means to know beforehand. And it's not simply referring to this idea that, yeah, God knows what's going to happen because he's all-knowing and he just kind of has nothing to be able to do about it. He just knows it's going to happen before time. That's, That's not what this word means. No, this knowledge is, yes, part of God's omniscience, his perfect wisdom, but it's part of his rule over all things. It's the same word that we find here in Acts 20 as Peter is is preaching, Acts 20 verse 23, where he says that Jesus was handed over to those who executed our Lord being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And we know that God's plan was before time. God's purpose that he was going to come into the world to save those who had fallen into sin away from his presence by sending his son. He knew, he knew, he had planned this, he had spoken in the eternal councils with his son, his son Jesus, our Lord, agreed to do this very work. And now Peter is reminding those who were dispersed abroad and suffering of this glorious truth for their comfort. Divine knowledge is not merely knowledge ahead of time. But it's based upon his purpose and his plan. In other words, Peter is saying to those who were dispersed abroad and persecuted, this is God's plan for you. So whatever happens in 2024, are you and I going to be able to say when it happens? This is God's plan. My foreknowing, electing Father from all eternity knows. 
God knows every point in time and all that will transpire ahead of time. But there's more to this word. There's more. It's not coldly, calculatingly like a computer who's spitting out all this plan that's going to happen and so it has to happen according to a pre-programmed event. No, no, not at all. This word here is knowledge, which refers to the idea, especially in the Old Testament as well, of an intimate, loving knowledge. This is what Peter is conveying to those who are persecuted and dispersed abroad. God, your Father who loves you as he loves his Son, knows precisely what he's doing. Therefore, And so this election that Peter mentions, understood properly, will give the one who confesses in heart that he belongs to this God and Father the greatest confidence and hope one could ever have. We are in our Father's hand. Not a hair can fall from our head without his will. Now, does that mean nothing bad is going to happen? That's not what it says. That's not what the scriptures teach. But we know that when we are called to suffer, when we are called to follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will suffer, but he will be there with us. And that all things will indeed, Romans 8, 28, work together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. That good being the transformation of us into the likeness of his son. And so what Peter is saying here is, you may have secure hope in 2024. Yes, he could say that even today. So it's as relevant and we can say it today. Precisely because you are not going to rely on the own strength that you have because of your faith, because of your repentance, because of who you are, but because of who God is. The eternal, immutable, unconquerable love of God will keep you, uphold you, strengthen you, carry you through whatever 2024 holds. And so this doctrine of God's election and foreknowledge simply humbles us. It exalts our God, but it humbles us. It's in Christ, in whom believers are chosen, that we have this infinite security. If we had to get through 2024 and face all the difficulties and trials that we may face, and imagine that we're going to stand on our own strength, we don't know ourselves we don't know the power of temptation. But God will be teaching us, helping us, gracing us, mercying us in his electing love. And so therefore, what Peter is writing to these dispersed abroad, notice what he continues to say, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. When we've come to recognize our own 
sin and have come as repentant sinners before the almighty glorious God who could destroy us and wiped us away. And instead, he has spoken the gospel to us. Our hearts are aflame. Our hearts are kindled with a love to him for what he's done. That's what Peter's going to go on to say here. That we love him even though we don't see him because we know. We have have understood by his spirit showing us and giving us understanding of who he is for sinners like ourselves. And it's this sanctifying work again that Peter is pointing us to who are chosen in Christ, who are willing in the day of his power. And when we look back, as Peter calls these to look back, it was he who who rescued us out of bondage to sin and death. And if he rescued us out of this condition, will he not preserve us? Will he not keep us? And so this sanctification is, as Peter says, unto obedience and the sprinkling and cleansing power of the blood of Christ. But this is just the beginning of the foundation that Peter is laying to therefore say, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded and hope. Look at verse 3. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled. It's reserved in heaven. It's coming, ready to be revealed at the last time. And Peter, he's going on to say then, rejoice, verse 6. In this, you rejoice. We ought to rejoice in the glorious truth of the gospel that has come to us. And why does Peter tell them to rejoice? Well, if you've had any measure of suffering in your life or persecution, we recognize It's not just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and put on a happy face and everything is fine. It's only when we are filled with this knowledge of what Peter has presented to us already as a foundation that we rest on it. That no matter what we face in our hearts, we can rejoice. Because he is God. He's our God. And he's given to us his son, Jesus Christ. And being given to his son, he will withhold no good thing. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Peter is going on to say, you have been chosen in him. And you ought to believe with rejoicing. Unspeakable joy, he says. Full of glory. Have you ever seen someone truly happy? Just beaming with joy. Or maybe a bride or a groom on their wedding day, perhaps. I remember being in a store, Kmart, when they were still big stores. When I was a child... I got lost in this massive store. You can't even see above the tables. And 
One of the clerks saw me, brought me to the front, announced over the speaker, there's a little lost boy here, he has a, a plaid shirt on, and could your parents please come to the front? And you're just trembling and fearful until you see your parents coming down the aisle. And you're full of joy. That, that, that just is no comparison, really, to the joy that ought to fill our hearts and, and ought to have filled the hearts to those whom Peter is writing of the things that he set before them about our God and about his Christ. As we, we look into this unknown future of 2024, does this joy, have you tasted of the Christ of salvation so that your heart is filled with this joy unspeakable because the same God who has brought you out of darkness who has given you some measure of rejoicing is the same same God who is going to bring you to the very end so rejoice let your heart this morning melt away in this confidence in this understanding that our salvation is not about us or how strong we are or faithful we are but it's about him what he's done what he's accomplished and what he will do until the day of Christ Jesus when he will be revealed from heaven Peter says and so Peter says meditate on these things that are going to shortly come to pass he says press on you will certainly obtain this salvation. Obtaining the outcome, verse 9, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I ask you again, before we leave the first point, the foundation, have you experienced that? Do you know Christ? Do you know this God, Father, who has chosen a people to himself? That's your only hope. And your heart rejoices. And you love him because he loved us first. And your heart is kindled, is stirred up, recognizing this foundation. And But Peter continues on in our second thought this morning as he continues to speak about the future. Now he does this, if you're going to follow my reasoning here and his reasoning, he does this by looking back so we are appointed to the future to come. He says, concerning this salvation, this outcome of your faith, uh, of the salvation of your souls, verse, verse 9, with, with this joy, verse 8, that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, diligently. Peter says, look to this Christ of whom the fathers and the prophets have spoken to you diligently regarding your salvation. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. Verse 8. Now this salvation, Peter says, is what the prophets have prophesied is yours. Notice the two things here that Peter is mentioning the prophets spoke about. Verse 11. 
They were inquiring, diligently searching, what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted two things, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Peter is saying to those dispersed, he's saying to us this morning, look back at the prophets. They're ministering to you by the things that the Spirit of Christ who is in them was showing them. So when you turn to Isaiah and you read of the sufferings and the glory of Christ, they were pointing forward. They were pointing to what was to come. Jesus coming into the world, a man who the world rejected, despised. Men did not esteem him. He was bruised, he was battered, he was beaten, he was crucified. And the prophets saw this through a a glass darkly. They could see images. They could see pictures. They could see as like this picture. When, when you get to the Rocky Mountains, if you've ever traveled there, you get to the foothills and they look huge. You get to them and you're driving up to them and then, then you look beyond the foothills and you see the grandeur of the Rocky Mountains. It's the same idea here. The prophets were looking in. They were peering into the future which was coming and they saw the sufferings of Christ and the glory of Christ. It was one big massive scene that they tried to speak about to us. To you is what Peter is saying. And in some sense, we could say Peter himself is one of these prophets who is speaking these words to you, to, to me, this morning. They inquired diligently, he said. So when you look at Moses and Samuel and David and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel, these men who served us were speaking as the Holy Spirit gave them to see, to utter the words that we need to hear. And what's more, what does Peter say at the end of verse 12? These things the angels desire to look into. The angels who had not sinned are ministering spirits of our God in glory, going forth, doing his bidding and his will in the world even today. They are peering with curiosity. They are peering into this world as it's unfolding in 2024 with wonder and amazement as they witness this believer being nearly crushed but upheld and preserved. This one who is living in sin and darkness, who is being snatched as a brand from the burning by the Spirit of Christ, convicting them in their heart and drawing them to himself. They peer into all the activities that's happening in Russia and America and China and Taiwan. It's all but a big picture of what God is doing in this world. And they have spoke of these things. I think of Daniel. Daniel was taking the book of his fellow prophet Jeremiah and what the Spirit had revealed to him and was studying this word. He was pondering, he was praying over it. Then it dawned on him 
Israel was going to be put into exile and bondage for years. And he saw it. And so what Peter is saying to us, you want to know what's happening in 2024? We won't see perhaps everything, but do you want to see? Look at the prophets, who the Spirit of Christ has inspired to tell of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that is to come. The prophets only understood by, yes, the Holy Spirit enlightening them, but through meditation and prayer, searching the scriptures. What are we supposed to do in 2024? Read the newspapers to find the truth? I'll tell you, you're not going to find it. It's not there. A bunch of lies, some truth. But when we turn to our word given to us of God, it reveals to us, it shows to us what Peter says the prophets have told us before. Even the disciples, however, were, were often confused as some of the prophets, perhaps, even as they saw these things, didn't fully understand. You remember, when Jesus rose from the dead, what, what, what question were the disciples asking? Uh, now? Is it now? Are you coming now? Are you going to set up your kingdom now? Destroy these Romans now? Not now. It's known to my Father. The time is coming. It will certainly come to pass. Even the disciples misunderstood. These two events that, that Peter mentions here, it seems are kind of blended into one. As you look at verse 11, they were inquiring what person, because they didn't see that clearly in the Old Testament. The New Testament saw it's Christ, sent of God, what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. What you're going to see here is that Peter, throughout this passage, if you go back and read it again, what he's doing is leading these faltering, persecuted, tempted Christians to look to the coming Christ. The future. Peter is saying, we know him. I was on the mount with him. You have a more sure word of prophecy than even what I saw on the mountain. Now, go to that word with the same hope and expectation that the one we saw, he's coming again. Lift up your eyes. Rejoice. Peter is saying, the prophets have saw these things afar off, yet not seen them completely fulfilled. There is a day coming when eye has not heard and eye has not seen and ear has not heard that God will fulfill these very words. Matthew himself declares this, that Jesus said, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say to you, many prophets... And righteous men have desired to see those things you see and have not seen them and to hear those things that you hear and have not heard them. The disciples in the New Testament church had seen and heard things the prophets were only foretelling, had seen afar off. But there's coming soon a day 
in which the church of Jesus Christ will see the final consummation with their eyes. The coming of the kingdom of our Lord in glory and in power transpires. There is a certainty about the future. And certainly the world today has its numbing effects on this reality for believers and the church of God. This world has sowed its seeds of every person for himself. We live in an individualistic world. We're looking out for ourselves, what's best for us or our families. And we're obsessed with what we can see. But are we living in light of what's coming? In light of eternity? In light of if we are alive when our Lord breaks asunder the clouds and he appears, are we ready to see him? Are we longing to see him? Because we've been reconciled. Because you're not carrying a load of guilt of our sin. Every one of us here this morning knows, am I still carrying a load of guilt? Am I not reconciled to Christ? Am I living a life that's not pleasing to him? Or have I been reconciled to him through his blood? Do I know that God the Father by his grace has selected me, has chosen me out of pure sovereign grace? And he's upholding me and keeping me. Yes, I stumble. Yes, I fall. But he's faithful. And I desire, I long, like John, so, Jesus, come quickly. These are the things that should occupy us in 2024. Yes, the sufferings of Christ, as Peter mentions here, because through his stripes we are healed, through his sufferings we live, through his death we will be saved, through his resurrection we live, as Peter says. That's all true. But he also says this second thing, through the subsequent glories. Oh, Peter's not only talking about, yes, our Lord on the third day rose again, Yes, he ascended into heaven. Yes, he sits at God's right hand. He means all of that. But preeminently what, G, what Peter has in mind is our Lord Jesus is coming again. The second time. And what he's calling us to is to live in such a way that we would be ready when the bridegroom comes. Peter wants those to whom he writes and us to understand and to believe and to live out of the riches of this foundation that we have in Christ. Later in, in chapter 4 he, he will say, don't consider it something strange that you meet with fiery trials. No, but rejoice insomuch that you are partaker of Christ's suffering so that when his glory is revealed, we may be glad with exceeding joy. What glory would he be speaking about? His glory that every eye shall see and every tongue shall confess. Jesus is Lord. 
And so Peter is saying, this is the final thing we should be considering in our minds as we live the Christian life, the return of our Lord. And this is our text as well. Look at verse 13. He sets forth these two first principles. Prepare your minds for actions, being sober-minded, and then this, this encompassing principle. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the end for the grace that is coming when he appears again. Oh, we experience grace now. Without grace, we wouldn't we'd be gathered here. We wouldn't be privileged to hear the word that's proclaimed to us. But this is hope. This ought to be unspeakable joy. This is peace that passes understanding. This will be the fullest manifestation and revelation of his grace when we see him face to face. I try to keep up with technology and the things that are happening in the world to a degree. And you start to think, what's the the World Economic Forum up to? What's Klaus Schwab up to? What's, what's all this trying to transform us into kind of machine humans? What's all this computer technology? What's all this AI about? What's this all about? I don't, I don't pretend to have any answers. But what's happening in our world is not only a movement towards materialism and man-centeredness, but evil and sin. And the only group of people on the face of the whole earth that have true hope for the future are the people of God. Are those who know God, know Christ. And so instead of letting all this world fill our minds, disturb our peace, cause us to become hopeless, let this truth, this year, saturate your heart, your mind, your whole being so that you may live lives of confident hope, expectation. When we have an election this year, when we have wars and rumors of wars, recognize this election and the present conflicts in our world are not defining history. It's not their story. It's his story. Jesus' story. All that has been foretold of the prophets who had the spirit of Christ within them shall come to pass. And so this is the reason, this foundation, this future that ought to then bear forth fruit. What fruit? Well, that's verse 13. Peter says, in light of all that I've just said, therefore, now, on the basis of that, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind in the King James. And be sober-minded. These two commands 
are really subordinate to the bigger idea of what it is to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. So all that we have considered should be stirring up the hearts of those who have known God's grace in Jesus Christ. Stir up the loins of our mind and be sober to hope fully. I need to explain each of those two phrases, but first what we need to do is look at what this hoping is. What does it mean to hope fully? Well, I may have said this to you before because there's such a misconception about the idea of hope. You know, when we use the word hope, sometimes I, you know, we have a, a sticker for going to Mr. Car Wash. And uh, you might say, well, I hope it doesn't rain today or I hope it doesn't snow today so I don't get my car dirty again. Well, that's a pretty flimsy hope. You have, you have no control. You have no, no foreseeing of what's going to actually happen in the weather. Was a pretty shaky hope. You might say, I hope we're going to have school tomorrow because then you can stay home or whatever. That's just based on some kind of certain pleasure you would like to have. That's not the kind of hope that's scriptural. This hope that Peter is talking about is a assured confidence. A heartfelt expectation that it will come to pass. It's, it's not a question of whether something will take place. Simply it's when is it going to take place. And remember, we spoke about the prophets in the Old Testament. They were waiting in hope for the coming of the Messiah. They knew, they believed it was going to take place. They hoped it would take place in their time. But many of them died without it happening. There was a few Zechariah and Elizabeth, you remember, were waiting in a hope, the hope of Israel. You maybe heard that at Christmas time, and then Jesus came. The hope was fulfilled. It was realized. It wasn't disappointed. And that's the same idea here. Hope fully to the end, to the end of time, to the end of all things, to the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what Jesus says about Abraham. He said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. But he died in hope. He didn't see Jesus coming, born, crucified, risen, coming again. Now we can look back with greater certainty and greater confidence that all that has been foretold already in the sufferings of Christ and his coming in the flesh, it happened but we're also told of what's coming now, the glories. More glory than his resurrection. More glory than his ascension and seated at the right hand of God. The glory that his glory will fill the earth and we will be translated to be like him in his glory. This is the hope then that we are to hope fully on the grace that will be brought on that day. Peter says, as you face suffering, persecution, trial, uncertainty, in this foundation with this future, hope fully. Don't let a doubt entertain in your mind and question your father's promise. 
Don't waver between two opinions. He's already said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten you again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You want to be able, and I want to be able to witness to people today, one thing that ought to catch their attention, because most of this world is hopeless, is the hope that we have, that fills our mind and our hearts and our souls that we can wake up in the morning, we can rejoice in the day the Lord has made because he's coming again. And we live in light of that. And that for hopeless, perishing sinners all around us ought to be the church's testimony in 2024. But Peter here, is telling us there's two things that are connected to this idea of hoping fully. He says, first of all, prepare your minds or gird up the loins of your minds. And then secondly, be sober. He's painting children, young people, two pictures for us to help us to relate to what he's calling us to do. In order to fully hope like this, two things we need to do. Prepare your minds for actions. Gird up the loins of your minds. The, the picture here is this. In those days, you remember, they wore these long flowing robes. And if you had to just do your daily work and casual things and you're talking and walking slowly, it's, it's not encumbersome. But if you have an objective in mind and you're really working in your field or you had a run to go get something and, a, and it's, it's, it's of urgency, you gird up your loins, you gird up your garment to your loins and you tie them around so you're uncumbered in doing your work or running the race. This is precisely the image Peter is telling us. So what occupies your mind? What do you think about all day? We're called to do our work. Uh, yes, true. But at the same time, what's the space in your mind and your thoughts? Jesus is coming again. I can't wait. I want to see him. I want to live for him. How much space does that get? How much space does... I'll never be able to get over... He found me. Why? All I do is, have done is sin. What space does your thinking have for these things? And Peter is saying, gird up the loins of your mind so you can run. You can run this race. You can anticipate. You can long and hope for his coming on the clouds of glory. Be obedient children, as he said in verse 14, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. 
But as he who has called you is holy, you be holy. If we want to hope fully, we can't toy with sin this year. We can't continue to look at things that we know he would not want us to look at. Or to think about things we know he wouldn't want us to think about. Or to put that off if we claim to be in him. Prepare your minds for action. Don't think carnally like everybody else in the world thinks. But think the thoughts after Christ. Meditate in his word. And fathers, what does that mean for us as you have your little children all around you? They're going to think like you. What are you teaching them? What are you training them to think? Gird up the loins of your mind. Take the word of God. Let it be that which captivates you and gives you this hope. But secondly, the same idea, but a, a, a different kind of picture here. It's be sober. Well, that's the opposite of being drunk, right? To, to be sober is the opposite of when someone is drunk. And when someone is drunk, then they, they have lost control of their faculties. They have taken in substance or they have uh, allowed things to happen so that they can no longer make decisions. They are no longer thinking clearly and they're just living for some kind of pleasure. And Peter is saying, no, not drunkenness, but sober, sobriety. Not, not just simply in what you eat or drink, only, that too, but more especially, be sober in your mind, be sober in your life, be sober in your words, be sober in all that we do. This is spirituality as a condition of how we could hope fully. And what comes to mind here for me is this. And we don't stand above Samson, but it's, it's, it's interesting to think about. It's intriguing. Samson, children, you remember him? Long hair, he didn't drink any alcohol. He was strong. And after many years of doing various things, he met this woman, Delilah. He loved her, loved her physically, her body, her appearance, sadly. And she began to ask him, Samson, where does your strength lie? And as you read that history, it's like we who know the end and we kind of know where this is going, recognize Samson, wake up. She's moving from one step and you're giving in another inch and you're giving in another inch and it gets closer and closer and closer to his hair and what it means to have it cut off. And we say, Samson, have you lost your mind? What are you thinking? but we're more like Samson than not. How often doesn't subtly sin creep into our lives, gains the upper hand here slowly and there, and it begins like Samson to overpower us. Peter is saying, no, be sober. These things you used to do in your ignorance, don't do them anymore. 
in light of the hope that is set before you, you are called of God to gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So dear friends, faith, you are seen. Hope evermore through 2024 with this in your mind. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come at the close of this time together. We pray for your blessing upon the word. We pray for your help and strength to live in this way. Keep us, we pray, throughout the rest of today and this week and this year. And let us hope fully to the end, to the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Bless also the offering which will be received for the general fund and give that the cause of this church and various ministries would continue through it. In Jesus' name, amen.